great to have you with us. Welcome to the first Sunday of 2018. It's going to be an exciting year. I think it's going to be filled with lots of surprises and roller coaster rides. And who doesn't like a roller coaster ride every now and again? Maybe not every day, but every now and again. So I think God's got a lot of hidden surprises for us this year. And uh, speaking of that, we want to do sort of like an impromptu thing today with us because um, of where we feel God is uh, taking us as a church, as a body of believers here in the city of Milwaukee. And, and actually, uh, it's going to take us on a journey for this whole month because it's going to be this week and then uh, we have two more Sundays. I'm going to be teaching on vision and how it corresponds to your life as well as corporately, how it works within the church because you belong to this church. You want to know how that works. But then at the end of the month, I believe it's January 28th, we're going to have something called Vision Sunday. So it's the end of the month and then we're going to have a video and we're going to show you a lot of things that have happened over the years. Um, and then also teach you about the vision and direction of where God's taking us. So I'm calling this heart and soul. I'm calling this whole series heart and soul. And I want to share a scripture with you uh, before, before we uh, pray, and then I'll talk to you about it. First Samuel 14, verse 6, uh, this is Jonathan approaching the situation with the Philistines. And the Philistines were obviously the mortal enemy of Israel. And Jonathan had enough. His father was King Saul, and they had no way of, 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 of breaking up this um, massive army of the Philistines. And so Jonathan went out to say, I want to find out for myself. So he took his armor bearer with him, okay? They were just going out to see what it looked like. That's all they were going to do. This is what it said. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, that's the guy who uh, made sure his armor was there to, to be there to be preserved, to put on Jonathan should he need it. He said, come, let us go over to the outposts of this, those uncircumcised men, speaking of the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Come on, somebody. God before you, who can be against you? Then he said this, <clears throat> uh, the armor bearer said, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. And the Lord just put that in my spirit and spoke to me so strongly that that's what our church, we have a lot of new people that are joining the church from 2017 into a brand new year. Uh, all the other people need to be reminded of this, that God has raised up a vision for our house. And I wanted Pastor Robin to be a part of this because she tells the other part of the story. I thought it'd be fun to go on a journey and talk about where we've come from and how we've gotten to this place and what's made faith builders what it is. And it only could have happened literally by the hand of God. So Father, today, we thank you for all that you've done so far in our midst, Lord God. You've been wonderful and mighty. We have no doubt that you'll continue, Lord God, to anoint this time and to bless us, Lord God, to give us a heart and soul for what you want to do in our lives, our families, this church, and this community. In Jesus' precious name, the church said amen. amen. And amen. Again, welcome to all the visitors here today. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, the best way I could tell the story is by going back a little bit. I hope this uh, doesn't bore you, but it's our Everybody has a story, right? You have yours, we have ours. And um, we certainly have one to tell about what God's done and his goodness. But this goes back a ways. My wife and I are both from Rockford, Illinois, and, and so uh, born and raised there. My folks are from there as well. And in 1989, God called my, my parents to start a church 
in Beloit, Wisconsin. Has anybody ever heard of Beloit, Wisconsin before? Yeah, right. So yeah, we, it, probably because you all know, back then you could come to Beloit and buy beer when you're 18. Well, they're from Wisconsin, Instead so of, they could they could you, yeah. you all could buy. In Illinois, you had to be 21. You could buy alcohol at 18 up until somewhere around 80. Uh, for four or five, something like that. So we always knew, look at y'all looking we like... We didn't come. Mm. We didn't come. We had people that we knew that would come. Exactly, exactly. We, we, for him. For us, no. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Beloit was a place in Rockford you ran to for, to, for the party, basically. But, um, but my mom and dad felt very called to start a church there. They'd never done this before. My, my parents were itinerant ministers, and my dad worked a full-time job outside of ministry. Um, they went to Florida, and, and while they were in Florida, God spoke to them to go back home. Uh, and it's interesting, from Rockford, Illinois, just to move 20 minutes north of Rockford into Beloit, Wisconsin, to start a church there. So we found out about it, and uh, I had just come to the Lord during that time. Literally, I had just come to the Lord. My parents were super stoked about that because I was completely backslidden. That was a, that's another story for another time. But, um, and I knew I was called to ministry, and I didn't know how it was all going to work out, but my mom and dad said, hey, would you like to be a part of the, the, the church plant? We said, count us in, we're in. So it was uh, us, my folks, my sister, Barb, and then a couple other people, and we began in a, um, a little town hall building just on the outskirts of Beloit, actually it was uh, Beloit uh, Township, I think it was what it was referred to. And a little small place, it was actually down in the basement, and we started July 4th weekend with just a handful of people, and that's how we began the ministry. We then moved from that place to um, somewhere towards the end of 89 to um, the YWCA. That's where we moved into that building there, and we hosted maybe about 30 or 40 people during that time, and then we moved from there to a school building, a Christian school building actually, and they had a gymnasium with a, they had a makeshift uh, platform and stuff, and so we rented that for about a year and a half. We were there while the church began to grow. So uh, you can imagine that when you're first starting something out, there's not a lot of money, right? There's not, there's no real budget to speak of, and and there's um, uh, much to do even with a small congregation, and uh, we made up our minds that whatever we're called upon to do, we would just do it. Now, we lived in Rockford, so we were driving back and forth to Beloit. So it's about 20, 25 minutes from where we live, one way. And, and so, and some funny stories about that, but it, 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 was a, it was a, God called us to do it, and so we did it. And the very first thing that was called upon with us is that my father had come to us and asked us if we would take care of the bathrooms to make sure that the bathrooms were tidied up and clean because there had been some complaints with the um, school. And so we made sure all the toilets were flushed and all the spitballs, you know how kids are, and the little grubby hands on the mirror. You know how that is, right? And there's just stuff in the toilet. You don't know what the stuff is in the toilet, but it backs up the toilet, right? Make sure that's all cleaned out. And that was our first ministry responsibility. And we said yes to it. We didn't balk at it. We just said, you know, we'll do it. And then the next thing was my, my dad sat us down and said, hey, we got some teenagers that are coming to church now. Um, we were young in our 20s. He said, look, look, uh, why don't you take over the youth ministry? Hey, this would be a great opportunity for you to, to minister and preach. And I'm thinking on the inside, man, I ain't called the kids. I don't want them to do with the teenagers. I mean, and, and she thought the same way, but we just simply said, okay, we'll do it. Now, we didn't feel called to do it. We did not feel um, like it was something that was even a next step, a stepping stone ministry. None of that. Matter of fact, I was petrified. Because, you know, you preach in front of adults, they'll at least give you a little nod. 
Young people, they don't give you nothing. They just look at you. That's all they're going to do. So it's intimidating, and it was intimidating when we first started. Um, and But we simply said yes. Somehow, when we got started in this thing, we, we, when we said we, t- we told God we'd do whatever it took, it just was a feeling of responsibility. We felt responsible for whatever came our way. We were going to do it, and we did it. Yeah, we did. We started off with about five kids, and we built it up to about 130 um, within just a few short years. And we had the best time. We were taking them to camp, and uh, we'd, we'd take them camping. I mean, we, we, we actually, I was actually pregnant with Nick, and um, I was talking with the doctor because we knew I was going to have to have a cesarean. And he said, well, you know, we're going to do it August 2nd on a Friday. And I said, oh, you know what? We have youth that night, and um, is there, you know, I know my husband really needs to be there for that. Is there a way we could do it on a different day? And the doctor looked at me and goes, um, I could do it Thursday. I said, Thursday works for us. That, that's great. So, uh, you know, because we just had a heart and soul for, this, for the youth to see them grow in God. So we, we're like, you know what, we'll t- we can reschedule our life. It's right. interesting because we didn't, we were not full-time ministry. We were still working jobs. So we'd, we'd rush home and put our stuff together like many of you guys do. And we just come to church. So, and then whatever we had to do, we do. And then we try to plan as much as we could on our own when we had the youth or whatever we were doing for church. But again, we just felt that responsibility, like this is something we, we must do. And, and, and God knew the end result, what we were called to do, but we just have always felt that every, every believer in Christ should have a responsibility somewhere in their life with their family members, of course, but also within the house of God corporately. And I mean, I, I remember my dad when our, our praise and worship leader left. And he had nobody. And it was kind of like a quick thing. He was taking another position, and we didn't have anybody fill in. And, and so I'd done a little singing. Come on, never publicly in my life, but I did a little bit on the, on the side alone in a car or maybe a shower where you sound really good all the time. And I told my dad, I said, hey, I'll, I'll take it for a season, thinking maybe six weeks, something like that. That turned into almost seven years. I was the praise and worship leader. It was interesting to me that everything we did that we didn't really want to do, didn't feel called to do, um, certainly didn't feel qualified to do, everything we did, God showed us something about ourselves that blew us away. That little act of faith by just stepping and going, it's kind of, I'm uncomfortable. I don't think this is something I really should be even doing, but because there's a need, I'll fill the need I had a heart, we had the heart and soul of the ministry to do whatever it took. And as a result, God would bless it. Next thing you know, we fell, I fell in love with the, the youth ministry. You did too. Fell in love with uh, praise and worship team. Fell in love with doing all the dramas. And I started writing uh, skits for my dad for his preaching. And then, uh, then I, we started doing um, um, the, all the productions. Her and I would work together. It was amazing what God did. Tell right. me about that. Well, we were doing a production called Jesus of Nazareth that we want to do here one day. And we had about 300, 350 people in the cast and crew. And uh, with camels and, you know, donkeys and uh, people flying, you know, and swinging from the rafters, literally. 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 <laughs> and, and this was back in the mid-90s. Yeah. So, and so Pastor was, uh, I, I had the opportunity to be able to uh, choreograph and direct um, what was called the big market scene, where you have everybody involved in that. Pastor, we, he would be there till two, three o'clock in the morning directing the, um, the cast and Jesus and all those kind of things. And we had, um, uh, you know, just an incredible opportunity to be doing uh, productions. And we had done those 
for, you know, that was like our first big one that we had done. Um, Pastor also, because, you know, he's a production guy. Um, at the time, I was also doing children's ministry. So I wanted to do, come up with some characters that um, could interact with the kids, do a little teaching with the kids. I had Sneaks the Rat and different things like that. But I talked Pastor into being Cappy the Pirate. And now, listen, so much so I talked him into it that he literally wore these little black pants that came to here. I gave him white stockings to wear and my white frilly, I had a silky frilly blouse that I had him put on. And uh, so he had the whole pirate, the vest, had a hook, and I look good in it, eye patch. I, yeah. I know. I and honey, we got the picture. No, I was. We, I, I know, right? I'm going to show a picture of it one day. I have to find no. it. And but he would come out in his pirate voice and um, talk with the kids. And he would he would have this eye patch, and he would talk, and then he'd turn around and he'd switch the eye patch on the kids, and they'd all be like, oh, "What was that?" He would all, and and he would do his hook, and they'd be like, "How did you lose your hand?" And he would tell them all kinds of stuff. Every week was a different story. I had more story. fun doing that guy than anything else I ever did. Yeah. That was true ministry. That was That's the best. Right. It really was. It was awesome. And so that was, you know, uh, some of the other things that, that we did in there. Um, we had a school, and I was a principal, and we had a daycare, and I was running, running with that and, and uh, teaching. I am so grateful that I have a husband, a pastor, and we've come from pastor line that saw the value of women in ministry that actually read their Bible and saw that women could preach and stand on the, in, at the pulpit. So I had a great opportunity to be able to do a lot of that also with you. I, there's also a picture, and I wish I had this picture too. We, had a, we did a production where we had real lions and tigers on the platform. And this is when pastor was leading uh, praise and worship. And uh, they, they actually came up to him and said, could you stand a little bit farther away from the cage? Because they can reach through the cage and grab you. And, but I have a picture of him pushing this cage with a tiger in it up this ramp. And, and it was a lion. And it, it was a it lion. It was a lion. It stood on all four, six foot tall. Yeah. It was massive. massive. So we, we, you know, we, we gave our life, <laughs> and so to do a lot, of, uh, a lot of things in ministry that, you know, we, like you said, we might not have felt totally qualified. I was nine months pregnant on a praise and worship team. And guys, I don't sing that well. But you know what? They needed somebody up there. So I said, you know, here am I. Send me, Lord. So <laughs> It was pretty sad looking, but you did pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's not bad that she was pregnant, but pregnant. And then she looked like she didn't really want to be up there in the first place. But yeah. and then she pulled away from the mic. Anyways, that's a whole other story. Yeah. But anyways... But this, this whole thing of bringing this up is because um, it was our time of developing and building character. We didn't know yet who we were going to become. We didn't know we were going to be with you guys. We had no idea this was going to take place. In those days, we were just literally finding ourselves being available. They used to say back in the old days, learn to be fat, faithful, available, and teachable. And if you can do those three things, you'll go great places with God. But we had a heart and soul to do what God wanted us to do during, during those, that season. And we took the kind of concept about Moses. Remember Moses? He said, you know, go and lead your people across dry ground. And he said, but there's a massive um, uh, uh, sea here. How can we get past this? He said, take what's in your hand and divide it. He says, and then when you divide, when you put your staff out, I'll do the supernatural. You do the obedience part and I'll do the supernatural. And the concept is still the same today. Do with what you got. 
most people wait till they get, oh, I'll, when I got this, then I'll step out in faith. Or when I've got that, or when I got the right amount of money, or if I got the husband, or if I got the wife, if I got the kids, if I've got the whatever, that's when I'll do it. And God says, just take what you got today. And if you do that, I can move mountains, I can separate waters, I'll do the miracle. You just got to take what you have the two fish and five loaves. I'll feed a multitude. And so many people, church, over the years have said very kind things to us. Man, when this money comes in, I'm going to pay this building off. Man, I'll get that roof done for you. Um, man, I will, I will put the down payment on this. I'm, I'm coming in some money when that insurance money comes in or when I win the big lottery or whatever, right? God's giving me numbers. In my, I've had a guy told me, God gave me the lottery numbers in my sleep. I'm going to go pray, uh, play. Would you pray for me? I did. I said, okay, Lord, in Jesus' name, it, Lord, help him. I mean, he said. So, um, and he didn't win, of course, you know. So, um, <laughs> I think what people do is they wait for that and then there's the big letdown and that stuff's never come to pass. It never, it, we don't wait for payday. We start with what God has given us and we kind of grow from there. Now we were there at the church for about eight years when God began to build, well actually a little bit late, earlier than that, about six years when God began to put in my spirit about, about birthing our own church. I didn't know how to go about all that. I wasn't sure how to do it. I didn't want to be disloyal to my folks and the church and I didn't want to even think about it. My time uh, was to be wrapped up helping to build that church. And I really believe in that. And so I said, Lord, if it's you, you'll make it work. You'll open the door. You'll, you'll make the thing come to pass, all that stuff. Now, with that said, uh, God put it strong in our spirits that we were going we to launch out and, and have our own church and start our own church. And so we believed it would be Madison, Wisconsin. The day came, sat with my dad. He believed it was God. And, and we launched out in 1997 to start this church in Madison. Those that don't know about our little experience there, we were there for about 18 months. It felt like 18 years, to be honest with you. And everything that seemed to work for us in the past was not working for us. It was kind of like, um, I don't know how to explain it. It was like the favor of God was on us. Everything we did at the church in Beloit worked really, really well. It was successful. And we got there, everything we put to work that we knew to put to work just fell apart. It so wouldn't work. It's, it's so much, I just was thinking about this. We actually put advertisement in the newspaper, um, you know, because, you know, letting them know we're a new church that's here. And we, we put in there that we were a cutting edge ministry. The only problem is in the newspaper, they, it changed it. They had a typo, and they called us a cutting head ministry. That's how we I thought, were known. Oh, I thought, we put, that, we put that money, but all oh, the phones are going to ring off now. We're this, got, I've got the little picture, and we're a cutting edge ministry, blah, blah, blah. I got one phone call. It was a guy kind of laughing. It was, he left it on the machine, and he said, uh, I think there was a typo, uh, cutting head ministry. Ha, <laughs> ha, click. <laughs> I paid for all that. I got one guy who mocked me. That's all I got. And I was like, you know, if that, is that a sign from God or what? Let's get out of here. But we, we worked hard. And we put our all into it. All into it. And all of our resources, our finances, everything. Because we believed God was in this thing. And, and we never got a word otherwise. And, and um, I had a, <clears throat> a moment that kind of broke down a little bit with the Lord. And I was upset. And I'm done. And all that stuff. And how you, you know, we complain. And I told her, let's go, we're going to go to Florida. So I arranged for the church to be taken care of for about a week and a half while we were gone. We left, and um, just to, I just needed to get out of town for a while. And while I was there, was there God spoke to me, and, and, and it's a long thing what God said to me, but basically, you're, you're a double-minded man. And you need to go back and do what I called you to do. It doesn't matter if it's rain or shine. It doesn't matter if it snows, clear day. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Do what I ask you to do. So 
We went back with our heart and soul to do what God had called us to do. And it started, it started, things started to work. They started to work. And, and we noticed that the church began to grow a little bit and there's a better feeling and start, start, pieces started coming together. And um, I'll never forget it. And I'll tell the story the rest of my life, the rest of my life, because it was powerful. It was a supernatural thing that God did. And the truth is, is that these things only happen once in a while in your life. You, you cherish them. And it was a turning point. And I was up preaching. It was a good Sunday. We had some visitors come, and uh, I was excited about that. And so I, I took my little Bible. My, our, my platform was probably no bigger than these two little areas right there, about that high off the ground. And, and um, my, we had, it was a small sanctuary. sat maybe 45 people, something like that. And there's four little offices on the side. My office is right off the platform. So I just walked right off the platform, put my Bible, just going to put my Bible down, go right out and greet the people. And so I went in there. When I tell you I got nailed by the power of God, I mean, I got nailed. Presence of God comes all over me. I'm shaking. I'm instantly crying. Don't even know why I'm crying. I'm just literally from zero to 60 in the presence of God. And I shut the door. I go put my Bible down. I got my head in my hands. I'm dropping big tears off of my cheeks down on the, onto the desk. And I said, Lord, what, 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 like that. And when I did, I had a vision. This doesn't happen to me very often. But I had a vision, and I saw a cloud. And in the cloud, out from the cloud, I saw arms and hands extended like this. And I noticed they were all different colors, all different ethnicities. And they were motioning to me like this. And I heard the voices that belonged to the arms in the cloud. And I heard people saying, please come, we need you here. Please come, we need you here. And God spoke to me, said, you're in the wrong place. I need you in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, just like that. I didn't know nothing about Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Been here maybe to the Brookfield Zoo. That's all I really knew about. <laughs> That's all I knew about. And I knew there was beer here. That's all I knew about Milwaukee. That's all you know. And so, so I said, I knew that I knew that I knew I heard the Lord. Afterwards, all the people cleared out. Obviously, I was in there for about an hour. I got out, got in the car, I'm super quiet. She knows what's going on, what's happening. I told her, and she says, you know, I believe that's the Lord. And so we took a, a, a little time to kind of close the church, and, and we sat with the people one by one and told them what our, our heart was and that we're sorry about it. But, and we got them all plugged in. By the way, many of them are still plugged in. We talked to them today. Uh, they're good people. They're plugged in doing things in ministry right now. But um, during that time, we went back to my folks' church for about five months while we were planning. Uh, about launching here. Again, we knew nothing about you guys. We knew nothing about the city. And so we, we just went back to the church and we were working for my dad, working really hard, by the way. He put us to work pretty hard that, those five months. But anyways, and so, but we were planning and, and strategizing. And in May uh, of 1999, we launched out with our first meeting here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we met on Layton Avenue, the Howard Johnson, I think it's the airport inn now, but it was the Howard Johnsons at the time. It was a small little meeting room. wasn't very attractive, guys. But it was what we could afford because that's all the money we had. It was a little bit of money in our, in our, in our bank account and our credit card. That's all we had. And um, it was us, my two little children at the time, and then two other individuals that came with us. One played the guitar and the other guy could do the computer for the words. And that's how we started our church in that little bitty room. And then we outgrew that room. They actually were going to remodel that room. And so they kicked us out. So that was God's way of saying, hey, the brook has dried up and it's time to go somewhere else. And then we couldn't look. We kept looking and looking. We couldn't find anything. You know, <clears throat> when you look, you're looking with your budget in mind. Come on, somebody. So it's not like we could afford much. So we're kind of trying to find that price range and we weren't able to do it. We're only in that, that uh, the Howard Johnson for like three, three and a half months, something like that. 
Finally, she called me and said, I got a place. I said, well, where is it? She goes, well, let me just say it's doable. I said, oh, yeah, it's doable. I said, but uh, I said, where is it? She goes, well, it's in St. Francis. It's on Kinnikinick. I don't even know where Kinnikinick is. I said, I don't even know where St. Francis is. I, I don't know. And she says, well, it's not in the city, and I know you want to be in the city. I said, yeah, I kind of do, but hey, what we got to lose? Let's go take a look at it. We went over to Deer Creek Elementary on KK. We were right there, not too far uh, from here, actually, about a mile and a half. And uh, we, we landed there, we fell in love with the place, and we were there for about a year and a half. It was a community room that they had that was uh, right there by the school. And we were in the children's theater room above the swimming pool, and this room had no air conditioning. So in the summertime, you get that nice humidity from the pool going up, and your knee, you're sitting in the chairs, your knees are up to your chest, and you're just saying, God, is this really you? This, I mean, it was, it was, pretty, it was pretty stinky in there. Yeah, and, it was just rough. And so we, we were having church up there, and yet we still said, we were so grateful. God, we thank you for this. And because, you know, we're production people, we, we continue to do productions, and we did a thing there called Heartbreak Hotel. And if you don't know what it is, it's um, where it's a, it's a lip-syncing production. And on the stage, we had a... One um, hotel was Hotel yeah. Hallelujah, and the other one was Heartbreak Hotel. So we had secular acts that lip-synced, they looked like the artist, they were lookalikes, and then we had Christian acts. Go ahead. So we had, I mean, we had people like, we put our elder Carol McGuire as Dolly Parton. Right there. So Dolly Parton. Uh-huh. Wave your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Dolly Parton right there. <laughs> we had we had Mike Maddie, was, uh, was Maddie Mike? was J Lo. Mike oh, yeah, was, was J Lo. Mike right. was Julio Iglesias. Which he's not there's nothing in him. He's an Irish boy. But we we put him in there. We had we had a motorcycle that we had to carry up the stairs. And it was, I wish we had that picture too. Well, maybe we'll do it at the end of the month. And we carried this motorcycle up. Then you had a little tiny spot to turn it to go up some more steps. And it was only about, the, the width of the, the front of the stage was about this black part of the stage right here. And so the motorcycle, they would ride it. And it would go through a door and there would be people over there. Turn it around. That would take the back of it and go like this, and turn it around so he could ride it back through this, you know, this But we had feet. a motorcycle in our production, so it was a big deal. Yeah. And the cool thing about it was that, you know, and we would take people and we'd say, you know what, you look like this person, you look like that person. I didn't look like anybody, so I got stuck in the sound booth. I was pushing buttons to run the sound, which I was panicking the whole entire time because I'm like, you can't have Tupac come out and sing to Dolly Parton, you know? So, I mean, I had to get it just, <laughs> just right back there. And we would have people that would just come and go, oh, I can't believe a church is doing this. And we would tell them, wait till the end. And every single production that we did, we would see, see hundreds of people raise their hands because they didn't want to go to Heartbreak Hotel. They wanted Hotel Hallelujah. They wanted Jesus. And we would do these productions and see people yeah. get born again. When you see a 50 to 60 member church come together, and that was the whole point. Back in those days, I didn't take no for an answer. I'm kind of soft now. I'm, I get, I'm too soft, I think. But I used to say, you're in it. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're in this. You are in it. If you want Jesus to be Lord, you ask the Lord in your life. I put, I put it on him. Boy, I say, man, you're going to make heaven or what? What's going on here? I mean, I, 
I mean, I wouldn't say no. I mean, if I'm you, I'm not saying no. I, we, I would do what I had to do. We took people we that, that weren't even born again. I mean, they would come oh, and yeah. visit the church once, and we'd say, you, you know what? Like so and so. Yeah, and yeah. we'd say, come up, and, and we would have all the actors come out there, because we really wanted the, you know, everybody that was in it to watch people get born again. And so we'd have them, and pastor would do the altar call, and we'd turn around, and, you know, there would be, uh, you know, B.I.G. just raising his hand, I need Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know? our, actors, <laughs> our actors would actually answer the altar call, which was pretty crazy. But anyways, but we, we believed in getting everybody involved and everybody else in the same belief system. Heart and soul. Heart means I love you, right? I'm for you. But soul means I, I'm, I'm with you. In other words, I've got the same philosophy. We're going the same direction. We all have a certain community together. And that's what we did. And people just, they loved it. And they got on board, on board with it. And then they couldn't wait for the next one and the next one. I'll never forget telling about this production. Everybody freaked out. They couldn't believe what I was trying to get the church to do. But after they saw it and witnessed it and became a part of it, it's one of the things that, that has made our church what it is so strong is by getting everybody together. What makes the church, a church, any church strong is when the body connects and comes together on whatever it is. Now we have more, more ministry we can offer people, not just one thing, but we have many things people can get involved in. But, but because we were faithful in the small, because we said, you know what, we, you know, we, and logic would tell us you can't put a motorcycle upstairs. You can't do these things. Everybody you can't, you can't, you, you can't, can't, you can't, you can't. And we said, you know what? We're going to do it for the glory of God. And because of that, we're, we're still doing as a ministry productions that we're able to see hundreds of people. If you're, you know, coming up in just a few months, actually in a few weeks, we're going to be starting rehearsal for, uh, the Circus of Jesus Christ. And we had people, the first year we did that, protesting outside, Christians, saying, how dare you call, you know, the Jesus Christ to have anything to do with the circus? And we began to explain to them what that meant. And it's kind of a Cirque du Soleil feel. And this place will be packed out with your friends and relatives and, and uh, neighbors and coworkers. And you'll see at the very end people that are just bawling saying, I need Jesus. And so because we did those ridiculous things in this, in, at the beginning time, God is just blessing as we continue. Yeah, and that's how the church has continued to grow and grow. And some of you are here for different reasons, but that's part of it. Had we done that, this church would not even exist. So you need to know the story before you even know. If some of you are going to join the church, you want to join the church, you need to know kind of what you're joining and what, how God's done this and that you're a part of the next chapter. We really believe that. Now, real quick, because we've got to move ahead here, but in 2001, the church was now about two years old up here in Milwaukee. And then my folks felt led to, to go to <clears throat> Phoenix, Arizona, start a church, <clears throat> excuse me, out there. And they, they, they really felt strongly that God was going to do it. So they sat down and told us about it. And uh, to pray with them that God would send a pastor down there to, to take over the church. And so we did. We prayed with them. I mean, I'm believing God with them. I know one thing. I'm not leaving Milwaukee because it's my baby and I love Milwaukee. I mean, I've always loved this city. I'll never leave. Only, only thing leaves... Only thing I leave here will never be for money. It'll never be for fame. It'll never be for anything other than the fact that God called me to do it. And otherwise, I ain't going anywhere, and I don't see that in anywhere in the near future. So praise God. But my point to you is this, is that I begin to pray. And as I was praying, God speaks to me. And this is what he says to me. He says, I'm going to give you your cake and eat it too. That's exactly what he told me. I'm going to give you your cake and eat it too. He knew I love food. Come on, somebody. <laughs> he knows my language, the language of love. And so he said... Um, that church belongs to you. It's your heritage. You'll have both of them be one church, two locations. And I heard the Lord. 
series of circumstances begin to break out. My father and I, and I begin to talk about it, and it was a God thing. And for the next 10 years, from 2001 to 2011, we pastored the Beloit Church and this church. This church being the young church, we went to 1.30 in the afternoon. So we were doing a 10, 30, 11 o'clock on Sunday for, for the first uh, about a year, because the first year we didn't have a Sunday church. We only had Friday night services, Friday nights. Anyways, and there was growing. And then, um, then we went to like a 10, 30, 11, and then we had, to, we had to force everybody to go to a 1.30 service. And for the next 10 years, almost 10 years, almost 10 years, they went, we had service on Sunday at 1.30 in the afternoon. Packer fans had to wait. Come on. They, 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 and and, we, and we, were on, we were on this side of the building. when we, It's a miracle how God did all this. But, um, and, and so that's what we did for the next 10 years. And all that is just kind of a, a wild ride. But, but God blessed it. He really, truly did. And then in 2011, we, God called, our, at the time, our assistant pastors to take over the church, which was... Um, uh, Pastor Terry and Rachel Morehouse, and they've had it for the last going on five years now, and and they're doing a fantastic job. God's blessed it so much, and that's a story, a testimony of its own. But here we are, 2001, October 2001, and now we have two locations. We just grew and grew and grew, and God kept blessing, blessing, and now, uh, now, uh, 2002, I have a prophet come in. His name is Glenn Miller. I didn't know Glenn that well until then. And the prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God or gives you a word in season that only comes from the throne of God. He gave us a word. He said, I'm, he said the church is going to grow to such and such size. He said, it's going to be huge. He said, and he said, here's the sign. Here's the sign that this is going to happen. By the end of this year, this church will have its own habitation. It will be in its own building. Well, we're a church two years old. I have no money in savings. It's week to week. And we, we just have a church under five years of age. The bank won't even look at you to give you a loan in the first place. And so I thought, well, praise God. God said it. We got to believe it. So we started confessing and believing and confessing and believing. This is the most amazing thing. That was, that was, that was February 2002. We moved in this building. This was the Marcus Theater. We moved in this building in the second weekend of December 2002. So God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Come on. We didn't try to make that happen. I wasn't even thinking about it, to be honest. I didn't even think about it until after we got in the building. Somebody reminded me, Pastor, the prophecy came to pass. Oh, my gosh, you're right. So it was an amazing thing what God did there. And this was this, this was the, uh, this was the, so who remembers this being the Skyway Cinema back in the day? Good, you remember that. Who, uh, don't tell me the movie you saw. All right, praise the Lord. But this was a sixplex theater. And so over on this side of the wall, on the east side here is a whole theater by itself. That was our first that was our first um, location, well, our first um, sanctuary. It sat about 350 people to 400 people. We remodeled it. We had enough money to remodel that. And then beyond that wall over there are two other theaters, which we remodeled for the children's ministry. Not didn't look great, but we had it, you know, going. And uh, everything else stayed funky, okay? <laughs> it just did. The carpet was wild. I mean, it was, and it smelled like a theater. I'm going to tell you that right now. Whatever you think of, that's what it was. A way to kind of make it look as good as possible, right? So you're, this was a different phase in 2007, and this one uh, was three theaters. So you're sitting in three, three theaters right now. So it was Theater A, and we called it that for years and years and years, Theater A. And then there's Theater B, C. On the other side of this pole is D. Then it's E and F. 
This was built first back in 70-71. That was built in um, 82, and those two were built in 84, and that's the building you're sitting in today. And we've watched God do, I mean, I can't tell you the productions, the people have gotten saved. We've had incredible conferences, um, um, uh, phases that God has done in this place. Um, we, we added 5,000 square feet to the foyer. Yeah, we actually, under the carpet, when, when we were getting ready to move in here, because, you know, everything was sloped floors, and when it, we had it leveled out, they poured the cement, we actually came from that side into here and wrote the names of our family members that we wanted to see get born we put again. Put in a vault. And we put in a vault. It's right under here. the floor right here. here. And then all across the cement is names. If you were to rip this up, you'd see the hundreds so of names. names. And then... I said, every time we preach, we're going to be preaching right on top of those names. Every time we preach, they're, they're buried in, in the foundation of the church. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, uh, we refied this place two, about a year and a half ago. We were at 2.2. We're now at $1.1 million. Come on, somebody. And we got a brand new roof. Hallelujah. No more leaking going on there. But you know what? Here's what happened is that from, from when we had nothing, we still understood the word value. And yesterday, it just kept over and over and over in my head, the word value. So I looked it up because I love looking up meanings of the word. And this is what it says in the dictionary. It says relative worth, merit, or importance. Mm. The worth of something in terms of the amount of other things for which it can be exchanged. You know, and I think about that, the exchange, you know, of God giving his son for me that there's no way and value that I could exchange what he did. And so you have to understand the value of that. It also means estimated or assigned worth, to consider with respect to worth, excellence, usefulness, or importance. And it means to regard or esteem highly. See, we don't recognize the true value of things anymore. We want the latest and the greatest. If it's on a commercial, we want it. Apple says, you know, here's something new coming out. We have to have it. But we don't understand the value because if we understood the, the true value of something, we would treat it differently. And to identify real value, you have to look beyond the surface. When, you know, a jeweler, when, when he's looking at diamonds, he just doesn't look at it and go, okay, here's the value. He takes out that little magnifying glass and he studies it and he looks to find the true value. So I brought this out this morning and I'm going to do it again now, but I brought these bags in and every woman knows what that little blue bag represents, right girls? Yay. And if I put this out and said, which one would you rather have? Probably everybody would go, go for the blue, right? And, uh, you know, because this isn't pretty. We don't see how, what the value could be in that. So we automatically would take this and run. And then, you know, to even add more to it, if you took this out, it's got a tiny blue pouch, which could only mean one thing, right, girls? <laughs> but when you open this up and look at, can you see a sparkle from there? It sparkles. It's awesome. It cost me, I think, five bucks. But out of something like this, when you examine it and you pull it out and, you know, it doesn't look pretty. It doesn't have, you know, anything special about it. But if you were to look at this ring, it's real. And it costs a whole lot more than $5. But the thing is this is that we don't take time to look for true value anymore. You know, we don't look at the value of our country. You know, we just, 
want to just go, oh, somebody said, you know, leadership is horrible. Yeah, leadership's horrible. We listen to one certain news or read one certain thing. Okay, yeah, I'm on the bandwagon for that. We don't look at true value. We don't look at what the word of God says, that God sets the kings in place. And if God puts them in place, then we need to value them. We don't value our military anymore because we don't like war. Well, guess what? If we did not have those that have served before you and that are serving now, you would not have the freedom of what you have right here. You value your military. You value your police. Well, I don't like police. All police are bad. You know what? You value what they go through on a daily basis to protect you. We don't value our marriage anymore. We sit back and, you know, men, you know, if you want to sit back and go, well, you know what? For every inch that she expands in her waistline, my value goes down. Or women, we're, we're about the security financially. You know, if his bank account goes down, my value goes down. And we don't value our marriage to fight and to work on our marriages anymore. We don't value our family. Because if you valued your family, you would tell your children every Sunday, we're going to the house of God. You're going to get in the children's ministry. You, you will be here every Thursday night because I value where you're going in life. I value your salvation. I'm not going to patty cake anymore because I understand the value of heaven and the value of hell. We don't value our friendships anymore. You know, because if you valued friendships the kind of friendships that you're supposed to have, well, they're my drinking buddy and I don't want to get rid of them. Well, you know what? Some of them need to go. Some of them are pulling you down and holding you back and God has plans for you in your life. And every time that you go, you know what? I need to go to church on Sunday and your drinking buddy calls you up. And if you go with that, you're not understanding true value of friendship because that is not real friendship. Real friendship is going to, it push you into the things of God. We don't value what God has done for our lives. Because if you understood the true value, not the surface value, if you understood the true value of what your God did for you, you would be here before the doors opened hey. up on Sundays and yeah. Thursdays. You would be like, how can I help? What can I do? See, we're trying to help you when it comes to being in the house of God with, when we're talking about heart and soul and being involved in your church. Because one day you're going to stand before God and he's, you're going to want him to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. servant. He didn't say, well done, thy good and faithful chair sitter. Or well done, thy good and faithful, hey, you went to church when the Packers weren't playing. Good job. He's going to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, because you know how to connect heart and soul to what God is doing in your church, in your city, in your family, within your life. And you're going to say, I value that, therefore I'm going to be a part. And I, I looked at this verse, and I love it out of this, out of the, this translation, James 2.20. And it starts out and it says, are you slow? I love that. Are you slow? Duh. Do you need to be shown that faith without actions has no value at all? So you can say, I've got faith. I go to faith builders. But builders means action. And if you have faith and no actions, then there's no value to it. So we want you to get included with what God is doing in your city and in your church. Heart and soul. 
All right, I'm done. Not bad. Person. I'm done praying. <laughs> I feel like I need to high five you. All right. So, church, we feel like it's a brand new day, not just for you, but for faith builders. And we say we see it, and we say that with great confidence because not only is it 2018, which ends in eight on the Gregorian calendar, but it's the year 5778 on the Hebraic calendar. So it all ends on eight, and eight simply means new beginnings. How many is ready for a new beginning in your life? I, I Look, we believe that God wants to start a new beginning. So when we say, we got to tell you our story because we want you to be on board for the rest of the story. The rest has not been told. Look, you're not looking at two old people up here. We still got some youth. We got some years. We want to keep going. We want to keep believing. And, and if you'll give us the opportunity to, to do this, we can do it together. We can see great things. But only two people can do so much. Thank God we got a team that will do it. But if we can get more people involved, you know, and, and seeing that happen. The Bible says, assemble yourselves together even more as you see the day approaching. So the more we see Jesus coming back, we know he's coming back, we see the signs and the times, the more we assemble together. Not just collectively coming together like this, which is important. Assemble. Assemble. Uh, the opposite word would be disassemble, right? So it's like this. It's like we're called to be the body of Christ. We're assembled to be many members coming together as one body rather than being a body that's been dismembered and going nowhere at all. And then the Bible says, bloom where you are planted. Do you know what that means? That means that in order for a plant to be healthy, you put it in a pot with the soil and you try to put the nutrients and you know, the extra nutrients in the soil, whatever, so that it can produce and grow and be mature and flourish and be healthy. Now you can take that plant and you can transplant it. You can but how many knows that, that 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 plant goes through a time of shock? The moment you transplant and put it somewhere else, you've got to take extra care to make sure it gets what it needs because it just went through a whole moment of being from one place to another. Imagine taking that plant and every week uprooting it and planting it into a new planter. Well, I don't like this church, I'll go to that church. Well, I don't like what they say over here, I'll go to that one. Well, I don't like this, I'll go to that one. Well, I'm not too comfortable with this, I'll go to that one. I'm just going to tell you something about church. There's not one perfect church in the city of Milwaukee, and there's not one in the world. And the, 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 if it is perfect the moment you get there, it's not perfect anymore. How about that? Because when you're dealing with people, come on. It's imperfect. It's not always right. But you gotta, if you've got a history of moving from one church to the next, the next, the next, you can't say, well, ah, man, faith is great, but there's one thing I don't like or there's two things I don't like. If God called you there, bloom where you're planted, let's agree to disagree in the stuff that don't even matter. We, let's come together on the bigger things because guess what? You might find this hard to believe, but I probably don't agree with you on everything either, okay? So it doesn't matter. What God says, find the common ground. Find the common unity, the community. Find where you can come together and flourish together as a church and where you can all agree upon it. One way that you can do that is by going through our growth track classes. It's four weeks. I think it starts up today, if I'm not mistaken.